find the things that will help us to know how to have good days. Now, before I jump right into this, I think it's important for me to say that Peter was writing to those Jews who had come to faith in Jesus Christ, and they had been scattered to the ends of the earth by persecution. They had seen many of their loved ones and friends who also trusted Christ suffer a martyr's death. Some had been thrown to the lions or burned at the stake. Others had suffered the loss of everything that they owned or uh, maybe been separated from their families who had disowned them and had a funeral and counted them as dead. And so these were people that understood what suffering was. And in fact, that's one of the primary uh, subjects that we discover here in this first epistle of Peter is the subject of suffering and, and how uh, God's people can take perspective on their suffering. But I, I simply want to tell you that these people that were receiving this letter from Peter and Peter himself knew precisely what it was to go through difficulty in their lives. And yet, here, Peter writes, He that will love life and see good days, here's what I, I want to call you to do. And so, despite the fact that they were having a hard time, and despite the fact that they had suffered privation and loss and separation from loved ones, it was still possible for them to see good days. And so, in your household and in your life, it's possible for you, despite the arranging of your circumstances, to also have good days. And so he brings a, a five-fold message in these few verses which we read tonight, and I want to share it uh, with you. And I want you to take a note or two, if you're able, uh, there wherever you may be. And I want you to notice that uh, Peter is writing, and he begins by giving them a message on cooperation. A message on cooperation. Now, if you live in a household where there's more than one person, you understand how important that it is to cooperate. If one person is doing all the cooking and all the cleaning, after a while that person is going to become discouraged and it's going to be needful for the other members of the household to jump in and cooperate and help out and have that harmonious spirit uh, that would help them to see the kind of good days that everyone in the house can experience. Sometimes uh, people are laughing and carrying on, and, and maybe there are two or three members of the household that seem to be having a good day, and there are two or three that seem to be having a bad day. It's possible for everybody to have a good day. And what the Bible says in verse 8 is, Finally, be all of one mind. I realize that we may be diverse as a people and we may like different things. There may be people at your household that uh, they don't like crunchy peanut butter. They like creamy peanut butter. There are people that uh, don't like strawberry preserves. I can't imagine that. Uh, they, they like just plain old grape jelly. And uh, I, I tell you what, every time I, I see the grape jelly uh, in the fridge, I think about growing up and taking my lunch uh, out, out of the sack, <laughs> a lot of times that Wonder Bread sack that mom put it in, and normally there was a little note in there. I think mom must have felt bad about 
me not having a lunch pail, so she'd write me love notes and put them in there, and then my friends would make fun of me for that. But uh, inevitably, if she put a piece of fruit in my lunch, it was sitting right on top of my sandwich. And uh, back then, we didn't always have plastic wrap. Oftentimes, it was wax paper. Some of you are old enough to remember that. And I'd take my, my sandwich out of the wax paper, and there would be a purple... And that was that grape jelly right there in the middle of my sandwich. And, uh, you know, I decided right then and there, I like strawberry jam. And uh, it didn't leave purple dots in the center of my sandwich. And, uh, and, and the fact is that we're not all the same in terms of what we like. But do you know what? We can be united and not divided. And we can work together. And this is a call for us to understand that the Bible says... Be all of one mind. So we can be made of one mind by the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this Bible that I hold in my hand is the mind of Christ. And if you determine to know it and live it, and I determine to know it and live it, then the result will be that we are like-minded and we can cooperate together. We're not going to be uh, fighting against and struggling against one another. We're not going to be like Martha and Mary of old who uh, were that... Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha was serving in the kitchen and she was upset with her sister because she felt like she needed to come and help her and there needed to be a little better cooperation. And, and, and the fact of the matter is there was probably a happy middle place that they could have found to uh, find some agreement upon and they could cooperate. And in our families, we can have good days. We can turn our average days into better days and our better days into great days if we first understand that God is calling us to a spirit of cooperation. Especially those of you that know the Lord as Savior and, and you have the mind of Christ uh, to work together, to be of the same mind and having compassion, the Bible says, one of another. Love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. You know, I think that it is important for us uh, to just recognize that in this context, Peter has just been writing about the husband and wife relationship, and it's no coincidence that as he's dealing with the husband and wife relationship, that he makes a statement that kind of crosses some people up all of a sudden because he's talking about husbands and wives and their prayer life together. And, and then he says, finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. And then he says, love is brethren. And you think, listen, I, I didn't marry my sister. I, I married a wife. Or I didn't marry my brother. I married a husband. But the reality is, if you both know the Lord as Savior, that makes you also brother and sister in the Lord. And so you both have the capacity for the mind of Christ, and you need to love one another in the Spirit, and you need to have compassion on one another, and not have expectations that are unreasonable. Now, I, I realize that uh, there are many people where that both the husband and the wife, many families where both the husband and the wife have to go into the workplace. And sometimes when that's the case, Men can get an expectation in their heart that when they come home, they want to have things a certain way. Maybe they want to have a meal on the table, or they want the house 
uh, looking a certain way. But if, if your wife is out there working and keeping a similar schedule to you and working many hours, is it really compassionate and kind of you? Is it to, do you love her as your sister if you have the expectation she'll work as many hours as you do and yet come home and continue working while you sit and watch fishing shows? I don't think that really that's God's ideal. I think that we need to have a spirit of cooperation within the family, the family unit within the body of Christ as well. So we notice, first of all, a message on cooperation. When we join in together and help out without having to be told, we're showing compassion, we're, we're loving as brethren, we're, we're helping out, and, and really we're cooperating together. And when that happens, i got to tell you something, it changes the spirit in the home. And you know what? You've taken a giant step forward in having a good day. If you're having a bad day and someone says, hey, let me do those dishes for you, you know what the day just got? better, didn't it? I think so. I want you to notice that there's a second message that he brings, not only a message on cooperation, but secondly, a message on conduct. You know, our days are not good or bad because of how others treat us as much as how we decide to behave toward them. Let me say that again. Our days are not judged to be good or bad on the basis of how others necessarily treat us, but how we determine to treat others it has more to do with you than it does with them and the condition of your heart. And the Bible, as we read in verse 8, says, Having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous. We're called to conduct ourselves as believers in some very specific ways. To be compassionate, that's, that's to have a tender and a sensitive heart of love towards someone else. If you see someone is struggling or having a hard day, then show compassion to them. Help to lift them up. You see, I've discovered every time that I go to visit someone that's downcast and having a hard time and show them the love of Jesus Christ, or if you would, compassion, have compassion upon them, that, you know what, I'm the one that comes away blessed. I'm the one that inevitably has the better day because I've had the opportunity to do so. But here it says that we're to behave and conduct ourselves compassionately in a loving way. And, and then the Bible says this, be, having compassion one of another and love as brethren. Love as brethren. You know what that means? That we're going to help one another out. What that means is, look, if someone's running late to work, and it was their job to take out the trash or bring in the trash cans. You say, hey, go ahead on. I'll take care of it for you. You see, this is a message about how we conduct ourselves, not worrying about what others may be doing or, as the case might be, not doing. And so, you know what? If you do that, that just made their day a little better. And so, in the process of you helping someone else to have a good day, you know what? You've taken a step forward toward having a good day yourself, toward having a good day for your own self. So this message on conduct, it's calling us to, as believers, conduct ourselves compassionately and lovingly. And, and the Bible tells us here that we're to love as brethren and to be pitiful. And I think what that is telling us is that what we need to do is we need to be tender with folks and gentle rather than being rough and abrupt. Do you know that the Bible says that a soft answer turneth away wrath? 
but grievous words stir up strife. And so if we are careful about the use of our tongue, then uh, it really affects how others respond to whatever we may have to say. If we determine to be gentle and tender in our spirit, uh, we'll fulfill the admonition here to be pitiful, to, to actually care about them by the words that we speak and the tone that we choose to use in the words that we speak. Because often, you know as I do, that it's not just the words that strike at the heart. It's the way that those words are communicated. And that's why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4, and he said, speak the truth in love. It's not just say the right thing, but say it in the right way. Be pitiful. Be tender in your spirit. And then the Bible says, be courteous. You know, when I was growing up, uh, we were taught to say, yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. No, thank you. Yes, thank you. We were taught to be courteous. Uh, we were told you don't address adults by their first name. That's not courteous. It's not correct behavior for young people. And so, so we learned there were just certain things that we, that we were instructed to do to show deference as an act of humility and respect toward others. And folks, if you, if you put others ahead of yourself, and if you treat them with courtesy and respect, you know what? You've taken a giant step forward toward having a good day. That helps them to have a better day, but I'm going to tell you what. Their behavior towards you commensurately is going to be much better because you have chosen to show them courtesy by deference and humility and respect. The Bible calls us to be courteous. Young men, let me just say this to you. You ought to uh, help your mother. You ought to be kind to your mother. You had not a, a mouth off to your mother. You need to be courteous to her. You need to say, yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. And when she prepares a meal, you need to say thank you. You need to offer to help out. That's the courteous thing to do. Uh, young ladies, when, when a dish of something at the dinner table gets passed your way, it's not courteous to say, I don't like that. In fact, uh, you ought to just try a little to be respectful. Uh, when I was growing up, uh, if I said, I don't like that, I had to sit there and eat a huge helping of it uh, until I learned how to like it. <laughs> and if, if I cried about it, I sat there until I fell asleep on the table. And then guess what I had for breakfast the next morning? Whatever it was that I said I didn't like. You know, I learned how to be courteous. Now, I'm not suggesting that uh, that's going to be how you're dealt with. But what I am saying is this. You know what? Good days have less to do about how others treat you and more to do with how you decide you're going to behave yourself. Toward others. And when you do, I'll promise you this, that message of conduct will come home and you'll see, I've taken a big giant step forward towards heaven. A good day. So here we find a message on cooperation and, and secondly we find a, a message on our conduct. And I want to just say, before I move on to my next point, and that is that this really could be summed up by what we call the golden rule. Uh, the golden rule is not something that you find in Poor Richard's Almanac. It's something you find in the Bible. 
It's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. And as we would that others would treat us, so do ye unto them. So however you want someone to treat you, that's, that's how you should treat them. We find it in the royal law like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. In other words, however you want to be treated, that's how God calls us to treat others. And I think that that's summed up in that word, be courteous. I want you to notice thirdly, Peter gives a message on choices. Message on choices. And in verse 9 we read this, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrarywise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Now all of us want to be blessed, but very few of us want to receive this kind of blessing. Because when someone is unkind to us, when someone says something mean to us or rails on us, our flesh wants to rise up and answer after the same kind. If someone is mean and says something hurtful, then what our flesh normally and naturally wants to do is say something hurtful back. And you know what? You have a choice in the matter. You could say, well, they said it first, or they were mean to me first. Listen, my friends, that doesn't make any difference. You still have a choice to make. You are individually responsible for the choices that you make. You know, the Bible says in the book of Romans chapter 14 and verse number 12 that so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. So I can't say, well, the devil made me do it or, or that Brother Daniel made me do it or Brother Dustin made me do it or I got mad and somebody made me do this or that. No, I had a choice all along the way. And so understand what I said, that good days have a great deal more to do with how I treat others than how others are treating me, even if that's not very good. So no matter how we're treated, we have the choice of how we're going to respond, how we're going to react to that. And the Bible here is very clear that we are not to render evil for evil or railing for railing. So, uh, kids, if if your little brother takes your toy that you're playing with, uh, that doesn't give you the right to push them down. And so, uh, young ladies, if, if your older sister comes and pulls the earphones out of your ear because you borrowed hers, uh, that doesn't give you the right uh, to do finger painting on her bedroom door. And what we understand is that we're not going to, when someone is mean or unkind to us, answer by being mean or unkind to them. In fact, the, the Bible is very clear. We've been called to render a blessing, to be kind, not to answer in a harsh way, not to answer railing for railing, but contrarywise uh, with a blessing. Because the Bible says, knowing you are thereunto called that ye should inherit a blessing. Listen, there's a special blessing that comes when someone is unkind to us and we show them a special kindness in return. You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying. That means that whatever I say with my tongue, I want to determine that it will build somebody up and never tear them down. 
down. To the use of edifying, it says, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. And what that literally means is that I am going to determine in my spirit that nothing corrupt will proceed from my mouth and that I'm going to speak to others in a way that is kinder, that is nicer, and that is gentler than in my flesh I may feel like they deserve. That's how I minister grace with my tongue to the hearer. I speak to them in a kinder way than they've spoken to me. I speak to them in a nicer way than they have spoken to me. I respond with grace when they have come at me uh, with insult. And so God is calling us to, uh, to, to choose, to make a choice, regardless of what others choose to do, we should choose to take the high road. And when we do, I'll promise you this, you have taken a giant step forward in having a good day. A good day. You know, if someone's being unkind to you, the chances are they're having a bad day. If somebody's railing on you, the chances are they're having a bad day. And if you engage that, and if you start talking after the same fashion to them, cutting them down, tearing them down, fighting with them, because it takes two to tango, you know. When you do that, listen, you both are going to have a bad day. But you know what? When you answer lovingly, when you answer kindly, you're going to continue having a good day, and you're going to help them out of their bad day. You might help to lift them up so that they can have a better day. And when you've done that, you know what? It's a blessing to your heart because you know that you've been used to the Lord to make a difference in another person's life. You've inherited a blessing. And you know why? Because you made the choice not to respond to other people's bad choices by choosing to answer in kind, but to respond with grace, blessing, and kindness. And so we, we find a message on cooperation, and we, we need to, to work together and, and understand that we can be united through Jesus Christ and have the same mind. And we see a message on our conduct and how we're called to behave ourselves, and then a message on, on choices, because right choices are rooted in biblical precepts, and those Biblical precepts result in a blessed life. I heard a preacher one time say that God's people should pray less for God to bless them and do more of the things that God can bless. When you think about that, it makes a lot of sense. Sometimes we ask God to bless our bad choices. But you know what? God wants to bless the choice to be like Him, and when someone is mean to you, you show them kindness. I want you to notice, fourthly tonight with me, if you would, a message on commitment. A message on commitment. And in verse number 10, the Bible says this, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil, and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. And so, the one that will love the life that God provides him, and the man that will truly see good days, will make some commitments. 
Not just say, well, if I feel like it, I'll, I'll be cooperative. If I feel like it, my conduct will be such a way. Or if I feel like it, I'll decide to treat you nicely. No, I've made some commitments that are not based upon how I feel, but they're based upon a commitment that I have made to the Lord to conduct myself in a way that would be well-pleasing unto Him. And so what we find here are some things that God is calling each and every believer to commit themselves to. And that is, first of all, to commit to control our tongue. Commit to control our tongue. You see, he that will love life, the life that God provides, you, you're going to enjoy and love that and see good days. First of all, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. You know, most of the trouble that we manage to get ourselves into, we get into because of the tongue. Sometimes it's young people that, that are out on the playground and in the heat of competition they say things. And, and, uh, or maybe people that are in, in intense moments and, and they, they blurt things out. And the reality is that we've got to make some commitments that are hard and fast before God. That we're going to allow God to overcome the tongue that the flesh can never tame. And by His Spirit, lead us to speak in a way that would be well-pleasing unto the Lord. We need to learn how to control our tongues. You know, I can remember a very specific service many, many years ago when I was a young man. And I haven't always lived up to this ideal, but it's something that I remember and God brings to my mind and I've endeavored to live out. And that is that, that I made a commitment that I was never going to scream or yell at people. I wasn't going to be a screamer and a yeller. Uh, in the house or with the family. And I remember kneeling down very specifically one day and saying, Lord, I'm, I'm making this commitment before you that I will not scream and yell. Now, uh, sometimes uh, we can, with our words, without raising our voice, be just as hurtful and unkind. But the reality is I think that all of us need to come to a place where we say, Lord, I realize that your word says in James 3 that the tongue can no man tame. And so I'm asking by the power of your Holy Spirit for you to subdue that which I can, cannot subdue my, on my own because I want to please you. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. So we make a commitment. Here's a message on committing to control by the power of the Holy Spirit our tongue and then secondly to commit to do good and to hate evil. Here, the Bible says, uh, in using that, that old English word, eschew, let him eschew or hate evil and do good. You know, I, I read uh, uh, in a recent article that, uh, most, uh, that, that almost 50% of young boys, by the time that they're 9 or 10 years old, have, have viewed something evil on the Internet. And more and more young ladies are doing that as well. You know, sometimes I feel like people get to the place where they say, well, everybody's doing it, and it's just commonplace, and, and it's not something that we view as filthy and, and dirty anymore. It's something that's just, it, yeah, maybe sinful, but we, we kind of see it as kind of a lesser sin. The reality is we need to see all sin as that which is evil. And we need to have a holy hatred for sin, especially as it manifests itself in our own lives. You know, I, I realize that as a father and as a grandfather that my example is going to be 
the sermon that I preach to my family. And if they behave themselves in a certain way, I have to sometimes take a step back and see if maybe I didn't bear the responsibility of teaching them those traits. The truth is, I've got to commit in my own life to hate the evil and love that which is good. I need to love the things of the Lord. I need to determine to hate what God hates and love what God loves. And, and my friends, I want to tell you, there needs to be a, a hatred for anything that would come across your computer or your phone or your television that would defile your spirit and really defile the ears and the eyes of everybody that lives at your house. I hope you should have a hatred for it. I can remember growing up, uh, there weren't many bad things on TV as I was a young boy. And I can remember uh, one night we were uh, all at home and we had uh, probably a, a tiny little uh, TV. I don't know, it was, it was about the size of a bread box, it seemed like. And, and we were sitting there watching it. And whoever, I don't even remember the program that was on, but I remember the night we were in San Jose, California, and someone on the TV took the Lord's name in vain. And that was it. My dad just stood up. He pulled the cord out of the wall. He picked up the TV. He walked outside and he threw it in the garbage can. And he said, I'm not going to have anybody defiling the name of our Lord in front of my children. And at that moment, we understood that there were some guidelines and some things that we needed to hold on to and some, some commitments that we needed to make. And folks, I'm going to say this to you. One of the things that this generation of Christianity has suffered from is, is really uh, our ability, we, we've lost our ability to blush at things that used to be abhorrent. And I'm not talking about, we, we think, well, I would never, or anything like that, or somehow we're better than somebody else. But you know what, there should be things that we, we know and understand are shameful, and that we don't want to be a part of or be associated with in any way. But we want to love the things that God loves and hate the things that He hates. We find that the Bible says here in verse uh, number 10, He that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak to God, let him eschew evil and do good, let him seek peace and ensue it. There must be a commitment to live peaceably. The Bible says in, in Romans 12, as much as life within you, live peaceably with all men. And I believe that, that that takes an effort and a commitment on our part, and it is not based upon how we feel in the moment. It's based upon us yielding our heart and our life and the choices that we make under the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God. My friends, I want to say this to you. No one's forcing you. God is not forcing this on you. But in love, He's giving you a choice to make this commitment to Him. last thing I want to say that will help you have a good day is this. This message that He gives, number five, a message on consciousness. In verse 12, the Bible says, For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And who is he that will harm you if you be followers of that which is good? Now, there have been times in my life where I've heard plenty of preachers try to scare the devil out of people by saying, God sees every evil and wicked thing that you do. But the reality is this, that it's a comfort to my heart to know that God knows the path that I take. 
that God sees my life and uh, wherever I go, God is with me and He's been there ahead of me. And there's a comfort in knowing that. It's not just that you know God sees every evil thing. God also sees the good. You see, the eyes of the Lord, uh, the Bible says, run to and fro throughout all the earth, uh, beholding the evil and the good. And sometimes I think uh, people want to just kind of scare the devil out of people and, and put them under some form of a, a performance-based acceptance to get them to live a certain way. But you know what? Most people that are just following after that philosophy, they don't experience good days. They may get through the day without doing a bunch of bad, but they haven't had a good day. They haven't enjoyed the day. They're not loving the life of God. They have just endured it. And the reality is that what the Bible is communicating to us here is this, that we need to understand that God is watching and listening. He's right here with us. And I want to just ask you tonight as you... uh, Turn, turn the broadcast off and maybe you uh, get something to eat, maybe watch the news or whatever it is that you're going to do. If Jesus came to spend the night at your house, if the King of kings and the Lord of lords was there, the God of all heaven, the creator and sustainer of the universe came and said, I'm going to stay with you for a while. I wonder if you would do anything differently. I wonder if you would watch any different television programming. I wonder if you would listen to any different music. I wonder if the Lord was there, if you would speak to one another differently. I wonder what would change about your life. And the reality is that God is calling us to live every moment of every day with the consciousness that God is right here, right now. He hears what I say. He knows what I think. He sees what I do. He hears what I say. And you know, I think that if we choose to live with the reality that God is right here watching over me, loving me, protecting me, and I let that inform my heart and my choices, I'm going to take a giant step towards having a good day. Peter gave five messages on having a good day as I see this. It was a message on cooperation was a message on conduct. was a message on the choices that we make. And a message on the commitment to these things. And a message on consciousness. Living with the conscious awareness that God is right here, right now. And letting that change the way that I choose to live my life. And if we would do these things, I I believe that we're going to be the beneficiary. We're going to be the ones that see good days. He that would, the Bible says, love life, and see good days. You know, you might not have had a very good day today, but do you know what? Tomorrow can be a great day. It can be a great day. It has less to do with how others treat you and more to do with how you determine to treat others. And most of all, how we respond to the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. It's my prayer that day in and day out, you will love the life of God and experience good days. If today wasn't so great, it's my prayer for you that tomorrow would be a great day.